Good evening and welcome to Dog Talk. I'm Dan Camilleri. And I'm Laura McKillop. We'd like to start by thanking Enduro for their ongoing support in bringing you our live weekly Q&A. Tonight we're fortunate enough to be speaking with Tim Hall from Valley Kelpies. Tim will be picking who he thinks has asked the best question of the night and I'll win a bag of Enduro high-energy food for working dogs with real kangaroo meat. How you going, buddy? Yeah, good. Yourselves? Not, Not too, too bad. bad. Thanks. Just, actually, after the feed we just had, I could probably have a nap, to be yeah. honest. <laughs> What you've got to work a bit harder than work at all. Oh yeah, that, that that's tomorrow's problem. <laughs> yeah, nice sweet. Dana boss got in the roast pork tonight. She outdid herself. Damn, so, spoiled. We are, we are, mate. How was your day? Yeah, good. Just another day in paradise down here on the big island. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> Over the ditch. Over the ditch is where we are. <laughs> you guys um been getting all that rain and everyone else has got the last month or so yeah look we have um probably not to the to the extent um i think we've probably had oh, a couple of inches um and yeah but that's just gonna set us up nice for that autumn break now so uh beautiful and um so we'll jump into it i believe you've had a bit of a different experience getting onto the land can tell us yeah, about that. I obviously, um, I didn't, well, when I was a young fella, my grandfather had a farm on towards the east coast of Tasmania, um, and I used to obviously muck around with him, and then the country town that I grew up in wasn't a hell of a lot of um, employment, so I had to source employment elsewhere, which um, I took on a butchering apprenticeship, um, obviously coming from the country, you always was skinning something or cutting something up so butchering seemed to come pretty oh, easy easy thing to to come at so yeah i went away and uh, became a qualified butcher and i worked at cold supermarkets for 10 years and then my wife emma and i we um we purchased a butcher shop and we ran that for five years until the kids came along and oh, by that stage i'd pretty much had enough of being indoors and yeah wanted to get back out and i suppose the next thing closest to me was working with livestock not dead stock i suppose <laughs> <laughs> and i know like a few younger butchers now actually while you're on that or on that subject and the actual trade's a lot different i don't know if down there but up here now a lot of it already comes pre-packed yeah but back right. in the day you... they're pretty much just carting cowboys now yeah. They just have a knife strapped to their side and just just cutting cutting boxes open. Um, that was starting to come in when I left the supermarkets, but we were still still breaking lambs and pigs. Um, the beef was pretty much eighty percent coming box form. Um, but yeah, but once I slid out into the butcher shop, um, before my, Emma and I took it over, I worked there for four years with the previous owner. Um, and that was still breaking, breaking all the bodies down. And um, what made you go from from butcher to to working where you are now? Oh, uh, I um, I gave up footy um, when we had the butcher shop, which was a big part, you know, of what I used to do is your your downtime. And we had a place with five acres, um, and I just started getting a couple of dogs and started breaking them in and I was using that as my kind of downtime away from the butcher shop um, and then I kind of set up a few lights over a training yard and 
just used to go from there. Like I'd come home and I'd go out and muck with young dogs for a couple of hours. But that was that was like uh, tension release for me, you know, from being in the shop all day. So, and it just kind of, as we all know, we tell the same story. One dog led to two, led yeah. to three, and then. Yeah, the neighbours weren't real happy, only on five acres, so I had to make a decision, I suppose. That was your pub time, mate, working dogs. Yeah, yeah, it was so. Like, especially, you know, come a Friday night or whatever, it's quite easy to slide a six-pack beside the training pen and just go <laughs> down there and have a bit of downtime and, yeah, just muck with some young dogs. Mm-hmm. Well, you didn't really need to be at the pub for the meat raffle either, really, did you? So. No, nah, that was to no value of me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so so where are you now mate yeah i'm at conneville station um i've been here just over 10 years now as the the head stockman to ic so um yeah obviously those that have tuned in before when adrian he was on here a few months back and it's a place oh, about forty two and a half thousand acres and uh, we run uh, a bit over twelve thousand merinos finish probably 7,000 plus crossbred lambs out of our, our crossbred joining. And we have about 2,000 Angus cattle, about 1,600 of them are breeders and the rest made up of, you know, bulls. And enough, enough to keep you busy. Yeah. Yeah, well, I just work stock. That's all I do. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what I wanted to do was just work stock day in, day out. And I'm fortunate enough with my job and, um, you know, with the support from Adrian that, that I'm able to do that Monday to, to Friday. Yeah. And you've been there straight from the butcher shop, wasn't it? Yeah, it was, mate. Yep. I was um I was starting to trial one or two dogs when I still had the butcher shop. Um, and, uh, yeah, the conversation came up with Adrian, funnily enough, one night in the pub after a trial. And um, I said, oh, I think I'm going to get out, mate, and go and... Um, give these dogs some real work and see if I can stand up to it. And you know, one thing led to another. And yeah, I found myself here with Adrian and 10 years has gone by. Yeah. Wow. That's, um, that's pretty cool. You know, first, first job off the rank and, and you're still there a decade after. Yeah. Yeah. And I've been, I've been well looked after here and, you know, um, I'd like to think that I'd gone enough to, to pay them back for, for showing me, you know, I was pretty green when I first came here and things had changed from when I used to muck a bit on the land. And, and yeah, I suppose the rest was water under the bridge. So having, um, I think you mentioned it was your grandfather that had a property when you were younger. Yeah. And then being, like, watching it all at arm's length and being on the other side of the counter, so to speak, and then getting back into it. Where, how did you expect, where were your expectations and how they sit and were you close to where you thought? Um. Yeah, obviously, there was you had you bought into two different, I suppose, ideas of you know for say for five years I was buying stock to put into my shop, and I was a little bit surprised at the prices where I was going. Now being on the land <laughs> where the prices have gone to and they're slowly starting to come back, um, yeah, I probably think to myself, well, we hide, and obviously there's butchers doing it now. I had to pay what we've been paying, say, for the last three and a half years, there wouldn't be a lot of profit margin. You'd have to work a bit of time in the dark, I reckon, to try and save some money. 
Yeah. Well, truly. Uh, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. But and and yeah, have mentioned you've been there for ten years now, man. You you got a, your own young family there. Yeah, I do. Yep. Um, I got uh, my twins, Charlie and Ruby. They're nine, coming ten. So uh, for anyone out there, I don't suggest selling everything and moving to a farm when your kids are six weeks old. A <laughs> little bit, little bit testy on my partner, but she's a trooper. Well and truly, that's <laughs> that's the ultimate test, isn't it? Really? Yeah, and I probably tested it as much as I think I will. And, and I'm assuming there was a change in location of your living conditions as well. Yeah, for sure. Where so it's new home, new kids, new job. Yeah, and I, anything you didn't do was shed your skin. Yeah, no, and I went bang, and, and our, our our house is about thirteen and a half kilometres in on the property too, so. Uh, to go and get the paper, you don't walk to get it, put it that way. Mm. And how did Emma um, handle the move and did her job change at all? No, well, she was in the butcher shop with me um, and obviously I suppose the decision was made that, look, as all good partnerships, mate, she put as much into the shop as what I did with all the – because we ran a lot of stuff that we – or everything we made was – in the shop we made ourselves um and when obviously having twins the time was pretty well occupied and and it probably made it better because it was flexible on the farm here that if something went pear-shaped or i could duck back home mm-hmm. um so i was always you know probably within half hour to an hour of getting back home so yeah that but luckily enough it was all smooth sailing. It was it was a good decision by me. <laughs> <laughs> and and being at the the same place for the decade now, what would Tim Hall today tell Tim Hall ten years ago? What did uh, you well, we don't be afraid to stuff up. Like it's an old cliche, but you learn from your mistakes. Like I, I think you're better to step out of your comfort zone and have a crack at something and not get it right than to stay within your shell and just, you know, tuck yourself away. Like, if you've got a niggling inch, it's just go for it. Great uh, awesome. Um, so you had a few dogs before you moved to Connerville Station. Um, do you want to tell us a bit about your first dog? Well, my actual first ever dog was back when my grandfather had his farm and there's a lady here in Tassie called Irene Glover and she's up in the Highlands and she's pretty well known for her Smithfields Um, and Irene has won she's won quite a few Tasmania titles back in the 80s into the early 90s Um, she just had these big Smithfield dogs and one day at a trial she just said here Tim and gave me this little ball of fluff and I think I might have been nine years old um, and that was the start of it and then obviously um, I kind of had to get out of them as I got older and my grandfather sold the sold the farm too because he was getting too old and yeah um, I like the Smithfield but I've never got another one since. <laughs> so you've always had dogs around you then? Yeah I have mate yep yeah even when I was living in Launceston doing my trade and that, um, yeah, I had a had a staffy. I'd have a town. I'd have something. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, so, yeah, and, and well, apart from the working dogs, I've, we've got a sausage dog now. Can't complain. We both do. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we can't right. talk. <laughs> so what about these two, that, um, when you're in the shop, mate, these two dogs that you got you starting in trialling? What were they? Yeah, they were, they were, um, the first one came from Matthew Johnson of Pandara Kelfies. Um, Matthew's actually a cousin of mine, and he gave me a young pup. And I was actually still living in Launceston when I took her on, like just basic obedience training. Um, and it worked out that we we bought our place out at Westbury and moved out to a bit of land when she was six months old. And I kind of went from there. I started hunting, you know, clearance sales and getting a, a sheep panel here and there. And all of a sudden, I had a bit of a round yard and a bit of a race. And yeah, and then you kind of, like I said, I started going to a few dog trials of a weekend as my downtime and kind of saw where the dogs were at at that stage. And like all young fellas, you go home and you want your dog to go exactly to that spot that that good dog went that Saturday. And, and I just kept chipping away at it like that. Um, and then I got another one when she was, she was broken in by that stage because I actually went trialling for two years with one dog before I came across another one that, um, yeah, was good enough to get round a trial or that I wanted to put on show. Um, but it was two years with one dog. It was, yeah, it, was, it got pretty testy. Yeah. <laughs> um, what were you going to say? Oh, wasn't, oh no, not yet. This yet. No, no. no. Um, so when you first started with your dogs and started trialling, was there anyone that sort of, inspired you and helped you get on your way yeah i think down here michael williams and he he runs bear rock kelpies um and unfortunately michael's had um illness over the you know the last 10 or so years and, and he doesn't do it um any trialing or, or breed dogs like he used to but he was probably before his time down here in tassie of the type of dog that Michael was breeding and what he could do with them, not only on the trial field, but in a farm scenario as well. Uh, they were big, big, strong types that, you know, had a power of work in them. Um, they were a type that they had a lot of presence about them. Uh, I'll never forget one trial, Michael stepped into the arena with his dog and he just jumped him over the arena and the sheep were in the other end. And every one of those sheep just jumped straight out of the arena and the dog hadn't moved. All he done was jump into the pen, not into a horse pen, actually into the arena. Yeah, right. Yeah, but he was, Michael, yeah, Willie was very good, like, and he probably, I would say, set the standard and raised the bar of what, um, you know, was acceptable and what people were trying to, to achieve on a trial field. Yep. And how, how oh, actually, I suppose that's a question for later. We'll get into that a bit later, mate. So do you have a style or a type of dog that you prefer? Yeah. For me, I like a pretty positive dog. Um, I like that dog that, that keeps coming forward. Um, they're not for everybody, but I'd rather have that argument or conversation with that dog trying to take a little bit out of them than uh, kidding to them for them to go in a situation. Um when you're working with them all the time, I, if you ask something of that dog, I want that dog to go there. I don't, I, I don't like to kid to a dog 
um, whether it's the jump on the back of your ute or, you know, up a race or through a fence, you know, that, that one that's really working for you, that's positive and, and, you know, keeps coming forward. Yep. And why do you like that? I think it it's probably suits me yep. um, and it suits the work that I do. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, uh, you know, there's a lot of times where you just need a little bit of feel, a little bit of softness with them. But I find in my train of thought what I'm trying to do is that generally comes about by the time they're four-year-old to five-year-old uh, when they really start thinking about what they're doing. But for that younger age, you know, nine times out of ten, I'm just smashing a heap of yard work at them and, and throwing them in every situation, whether they're suited or not at that stage. And at the back end, they just seem to calm down and then all of a sudden, you know, you might be heading that way to getting a close all-rounder or, or a, a biddable all-round tight. Mm-hmm. Just to go with that one. This one or that one? One on there. This one. Yeah. So um, on that, Kate Jobs asked, um, what's the best dog you've ever seen work? The best dog I've ever seen work. Wowee. Um, that's hard. Like that's to put. Obviously, anyone in the the trialing game at the moment, Kate herself has got as good a dog that I've seen that reads situations so well. Um, he's a dog that he knows when to apply pressure. Um, whether Kate tells him to or not, and he, and he just reads his stock really nice, and he doesn't upset his stock if he's in close, but if Kate needs another gear, the dog seems seems to have it. Mm-hmm. Um, he's one that that um, that jumps jumps to mind pretty well, um, and Jeff McDougall's got a couple at the moment that I really like, and they're they're probably in the pocket for me with their positivity and Jeff's got a good handle on them. Um, and yeah, you probably need to be six foot, whatever to <laughs> keep, them, keep them down a bit, but yeah, they're, they're a couple. Um, you don't get much more positive than that. Ace of his there. Love him. That's why I've oh. got a pup by him in the team at the moment. He's cracking. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, no, that's there. And there are probably others that I've, I've forgotten about, but yeah, just off the, off the spur that, yeah, Kate only put that in until she wanted me to talk. Oh, about absolutely. <laughs> Loaded. <laughs> so on that, being in Tassie, how do you guys go about getting, you know, seeing new dogs in a genetic pool? And I can imagine it as much as there'd be a variety, it'd be a lot of closeness as well. And trust in people too. Mm. Yeah, look, right. obviously, you know, Social media is not for everybody, and I see some good points and bad points with, and this is talking dog stuff with social yeah. media, um, but it probably does allow you to see some footage if people do videos at home, um, and obviously that's where a dog's in its most comfortable environment because it knows, you know, generally where they are. Um, so you get a bit of a look there, um, and it's, yeah, we probably struggle a little bit um, with the people because a lot of us have got the same, like just Adrian and I, you know, we've got a very similar bloodline. So we're 
unlikely to go to each other's camp a lot because we've got half brothers, half sisters, that type of stuff. Um, But as we've found, like the last seven or eight years, I've been coming over the ditch a fair bit, and oh, you get you meet great mates and great people, and then it kind of goes from there. All of a sudden, you 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 shipping pups in and out and things like that, and I've got you know good uh, dog. Carters down here in Tassie now they kind of know us so yeah yeah that's then that's about the way as far as joining bitches and that oh, that's got whiskers on it because it's just too much work trying to get them there in the right yeah you're getting them over the boat and oh yeah but anyway yeah and that's and you've got to have a lot of trust in people too if you yes. start you know sending your bitch and when she's you know, coming in season or whatnot, but there's a couple of people I trust um, do it. But yeah, that's that's probably another level again. Yeah. And while we're talking about your dogs, mate, do you want to tell us a little bit about your current team? Uh, yeah. I've um, I suppose the working team consists at the moment of eight dogs. I had a bit of a thin out of things that weren't going. Um, and yeah, I've got yeah eight. Eight dogs, one old retiree. I've got one dog left from when I first came to Connerville. Yeah. And, yeah, he's been retired for oh, three years now, I suppose, and he just gets better with age. I'm hoping that's going to rub off on me. But <laughs> um, Yeah, um, so I've got um, – and the rest are just pups I'm breaking in. Um, so there'd be, there'd be five down there. Um, young pups, six six month old types that I'm, that I'm breaking in. Uh, pretty much like everybody, everyone talks about that all round dog, but I've just got probably tools of the trade really. Um, they all all pretty much can do a job, but obviously some excel in certain areas better than others. Um, and I think you've kind of got to have that to complement your team. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's, yeah, so got black, black dogs, black dogs, <laughs> like no, dark dogs, three or four straight blacks. I got, I got a, a straight black dog, and yeah, he's kind of worked out okay for me so far. And he sighed two or three litters, and for some reason, I've just kept the black pups out of each litter, so the lad have to change because they're too much alike. And you mentioned you mentioned earlier that um, you do like all of the yard work there as well, doing a fair bit of the mastering as well. Or how, how? And you mentioned Adrian a few times there. How do you guys tag team in different jobs if you're doing too much of one thing? Yeah, I um I probably find myself in the sheep yards a, a hell of a lot. Um, and with Adrian being the manager for a place this size, he's probably got to be pretty close to his phone all the time. Yeah. Um, so he probably does more of the the mustering, sitting behind a mob type setup, bringing them to the yards, um, you know, and I'll be in there processing or, you know, weaning or foot pairing, that type of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I do I do most of the, the bush mustering with the bush weathers. We run um, 5,000 weathers out in on bush runs. And that's, to me, that... I love all soft work, but out in that bush is that's probably near your, near the best job to do. Like, yeah, you know, you you only we don't run them very heavy, so you might be only looking for three hundred weathers in a 
five, six hundred acre bush block, like, you know, and you've got to pick up 10 here and, you know, tinker them along softly and you've got to try and, you have to recast your dog if you see another 10 and, um, you know, stuff like that. And it's just, just enjoyable. It's a test for yourself, really, and your dog. It sounds all right. Yeah, it sounds really cool. testing. <laughs> and actually, in that bush plot, what what are you doing? Are you just on a bike or you're on a horse? What what are you doing? Uh, no, no horse. Me and horses don't get along real good. <laughs> I like to control the pace with my thumb. <laughs> so generally on a four wheeler. Um, and where areas where you can't get to, you may have to go on foot for a little bit, but not a hell of a lot. Um, generally, the four wheeler's got a pretty good bull bar on the front and they can be a bulldozer and go over most things yeah. um, <laughs> and two obviously all your stock because we run a few dry cattle through the bush too they hear the motorbikes or whatever else and generally you've only got one crack if you get a look at them you've got that crack at them otherwise they disappear and a lot of it's you know sending your dog and having trust like you might see eight or ten sheep and you put the dog out and all of a sudden you might come back with 150, you know, things like that. you just got to have trust in your hound, I suppose. Yeah. And you've said mostly black Kelpies seem to be in your team, but why Kelpies? Just what you started with or? Oh, I just think it's their overall hardness and uh, their mindset. Um, they seem to suit me better uh, with the way they work um and yeah just in their mindset and and they're they're you're pretty well able well should if you if you're lucky enough to to get them there's that all-round type or very close to mm -hmm. um you know you've got a yeah i don't i've just i've had a couple of goes with the collies and and no disrespect to them whatsoever but the ones that i've tried just haven't suited me and and you know the direction that, that I was going in. So I've, I've kind of just stayed with at the moment what seems to be to be working. Yep. That's if, totally fair enough. If it's not broken, why fix it, right? Yeah, yeah, or just try and make it better. <laughs> yeah. And was there an uh, influential dog to, got, to get you where you are today or some, a dog that was real memorable for yourself? Yeah, look, once again, Adrian bred a litter, um, eight years ago and uh he used a, a gary white dog over the kelvar beach and i got one of those pups and i think i actually only had two or three dogs around me at that stage and that dog probably showed me within my camp like of what you know what i could get out of a dog mm -hmm. um and he's been a cracker and I threw that much work at him. It wasn't funny, just simply because I, I've actually built my team now around this dog because, I, like, I had to because he was, the others weren't where I need to be for a station dogs, um, and I just used him for absolutely everything. There wasn't a job that I never took him to. Like, yeah, and unfortunately, um, he's he was really really good at home and he, he he was okay on a trial field like he won a dog of the year but he was a little bit slow moving on 10 or 12 sheep um but it was funnily enough you'd never see that on 1500 or you know and i never saw him lose um any stock in the, in the bush but yeah. when i'd get to a trial his anticipation 
Um, yeah, he was just a little bit slow reacting um, on 10 or 12 sheep. And that's not making excuses for the dog, but that was just him. And I never really talked him up a lot at trials or whatnot because people saw that and, you know, thought he was a slow-moving dog. And that was fine, but I kind of knew what he was doing at home, you know, Monday to Friday for me. No, that's, yeah. Yeah. But sometimes I think we all get a bit caught up on, on what we say on the weekend rather than what they're doing every day. Yeah, oh, for sure. And we all do it. We all judge the dog on, on what's in front of you and, you know, and everyone's everyone's got opinions. They're like buttholes. Everyone's got them. <laughs> that was the PG version. I wasn't expecting that. <laughs> <laughs> but And you mentioned, um, like, trainability earlier. How important is something that's trainable or biddable for yourself? Yeah, it is. I think it's very important. Um, and everyone has their different ideas and methods of what works for, for training and, you know, to be biddable and whatnot. But, yeah, the, the dog's got to let you in. Um, but, yeah, you want the dog to let you in. But for me, i still got to have a lot of natural work there too. And like I said, I'd rather, I'd rather be fighting that dog for him to let me in harder than what it would be to piss Bring him off on. at the try and, you know, boost him up. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. he probably goes down the road, that dog, pretty quick. <laughs> um, I was just going to ask, how much time are you putting into, into your training and, and selecting when you're working as much as you are? Yeah, look, still to this day, I use the... The, the training yard that I've got set up here now at Connorville as my downtime. Yeah. Um, I'm a believer that if you've got a pup and you want to train your pup, you go train your pup. I don't, I don't have a, a I don't follow a, a set age or, you know, time schedule or anything like that. The only thing that I often do is if you've had a shit day at work or whatever, don't come home and let your pup out and take your frustrations there. But, yeah, no, even if, you know, if I've been foot pairing, you know, when we get going, we foot pair here for about six or seven weeks straight. Um, and I'll still come home and, you know, let all the other dogs out for a run and then turn the lights on in winter because I've got lights set up here and let a young pup out. And sometimes it might be just taking a fold-up chair and sitting in the, in the yard and just let this little pup do his thing, like let his instinct come out and just watch him. Yeah. And for me, you know, everyone's different, but and then once that starts, yeah, I I probably go to them three or four times a week. Yep. Nice. And you mentioned there like a couple of times now, like foot pairing and whatnot. So you guys are doing a lot of the work that a lot of other people contract out. Yeah, we don't. We do everything in house. Um. Yep. Oh, the only thing that we we contract out is our, our landmarking. Yep. Um, but we did do um, our, our crossbreds. A lot of the workers jumped in, did our crossbreds ourselves, and then we just got someone in um, for our merinos. But yeah, no. But we do everything, everything ourselves. Like, yes, yeah, yeah, so like... generally, um, we do that. Like for the foot pairing, that occurs through a PQL machine, and um, I'll have another bloke with me, and he'll be doing the front wheels, and I'll do the back wheels, and just work with dogs all the time so 
generally if that's a setup, I'll probably run three dogs and have one holding the, the tail up, one back and inside the, the race, and then just one on the outside to punch that sheep, last sheep into the into the peak hill or the next yeah. sheep coming. So they got to be by the end of that, you probably you get a fair indication if your dogs are working for you and how tough they are because they're on the on the mesh and you know we we foot pair everything from big bush weathers through to you know ewe lamb hoggets so it's a fair mm -hmm. variation yeah and where i was leading with that your dogs really are doing everything on the station right like yeah 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 you're getting like, tested yeah um and you know then you, you flip over and you go and you know muster 400 odd 450 cows in we'll go calf marking for the next day so the cows you probably sit behind cows and calves having arguments with them for two hours at a time where you've come from right out the back and so yeah you've got it i do probably ask a fair bit of them but yeah they love it you try and save those jobs for earlier in the week in case you're going trialing of a weekend you don't want to be doing that on the thursday nah. or friday <laughs> no nah, a lot of the time trialing just because like what gets done monday to friday um you know that's the the main that's why i've got my dogs there's i wouldn't have a dog in my camp that is only a trial dog um if he can't handle monday to friday even if he is looking like being a good trial dog unfortunately he goes down the road yeah yeah um and, and on that you've mentioned a few times you know going out and starting pups after work what sort of age and process are you taking to do that oh mate if i've if i've got an eight or ten week old pup that's just landed or i've bred um he'll get a look at the sheep that might only be for two minutes or you know it could be a sunday afternoon when you just get him out because i have my kids interact with all my young dogs all the time like and even pups that i breed here like as soon as they're born the kids are in the back of the welcome box, you know, looking at the pups straight up. So that's what, that's how I operate. But yeah, no, they get a look eight to 10 weeks and then, you know, def, there's no, I don't try and shape them or balance them or any of that stuff for ages yet, but just put them in that situation, you know, and if you, you go and back down, if you've got to go and shed up later the night or whatever and grab a pup, take him with you, just let him, be in the area so mm -hmm. he doesn't have to be near stock or in a situation where he he could get hurt but they don't learn anything in staying in the pen or they learn how to bark <laughs> <laughs> and, and what kind of stock are you showing them when it's time to start doing a bit of, when you see a spark there yeah i generally have merinos up here um and once again each their own but i pretty much would probably go three months and then I'll swap my training sheep out and get fresh ones in. Um, and if I've got, you know, that's three or four younger ones that, you know, that 16 week to 20 week old or whatever, you generally probably only got, you know, Merino ewes, younger ewes, and you're probably just putting two sheep in the pen, you know, that's not going to hurt them or, but just have enough free wheel that, you know, excites them. Yeah. And so 
you you're doing all that, but and you said you don't really expect them to do much um, shaping or balancing straight away. You're just getting that spark in them. When do you sort of know that the pups then ready for that that next stage? Um, a lot of the time, I kind of I like to go in, into the the pup training area, and obviously you've just got yourself up against a fence, and without saying too much at all just walk across to the other side of your training area and if they obviously if your sheep are quiet nine times out of ten they'll lift off where you're walking to but if i see that pup tuck in behind them and he he's doing his absolute best to draw them sheep to where i am and i'll just go to that next flat fence and just stand there and look back and if that pup's coming there well you know i just keep him going at that without any pressure on him i think the main thing that I do is we always seem to be very quick to chastise young dogs and young dogs obviously do need chastising at certain periods, but we seem to be a little bit light on encouragement. Um, we're quick to yell or, or block him or stop him from doing something wrong, but I'm probably, I go as much the other way to really praise him up if something's right. Like we seem to, we always seem to look to the negatives so much. But that's just my my opinion. No, that's no cool. I think that's no. a very Aussie thing to do to yeah. look to the negative anyway. So I, I wanted to touch on that. So are you saying like you kind of like ignore some of the the unsavory stuff and it may that's something good, just yeah, or oh, what I what I say here, your inner gay Mickey Mouse comes out and you're like, Hey, you're making a big deal about things or Yeah, yeah, for sure. Because like I said, I'm probably I like to deal with them them harder headed, younger pups. Um, and they probably do take a little bit more um, deep breaths and sighs at a, at a young age because they are testing, but that's that's the line and, and the choice that, that I make. And you just got to keep, you know, telling yourself that that's the type of dog it is. And, yeah, and it's just, it's more so, I suppose, trying to just to build that bond early with him that, you know, he can get a little bit of trust in you even at a young age that you're not going to stretch him every time you get near him. Mm. Yeah. And then you go. Yeah, no. oh, I was just going to say, you've mentioned like how you like a stronger dog and all of that. How do you go about identifying that, that strength in a dog or does it come with age and experience for you? Oh, yeah, look, strength's another thing. Everyone's got different opinions of what, what strength is, um, but probably. Well, what is it to you then? We sort of strength, haven't. Strength is not that that dog that's coming in causing an argument all the time and then you know tries to back it up. Then he's out the back door. Um, sometimes strength, I don't know. Sometimes strength and feel can be very similar in how they they're reading something and and the strength of their mind might be that they want to walk forward to cause an argument, but they hold themselves back because they feel that feel the stock. And if they let that just go, the stock rolls over like or, or rolls forward off them. Um, but yeah. And, and sometimes I look at strength in a dog too, is if, if that dog's not a hundred percent wanting to go to that situation, you've asked that he still puts himself there. Like, to me, strength 
can be that within a dog. But everyone has their, their different opinion. Then you've got your walking strength, you know, eye and eye to a crossbred ram or, you know, busting in to, to break up two bulls fighting and that type of stuff. But I think that's one of them things like feel. Every person you talk to will have a different opinion on, of how they rate it. Yeah, yeah. Um, a couple of those um, have sort of been, oh, I've just lost what I was going to say. I'm so sorry. I was trying to say um, you've sort of answered, Rick Freeman's asked a few questions and you've sort of answered some of them, but he has one here um, and, and you've half answered it, but there's sort of a little bit more to his question. He's asked, if you were training a pup or a young dog, how do you gauge it? if you can train it each day or if it needs more um, slow pace or in other words, what signs are there that you might be putting too much pressure on the dog? Oh, straight up. The the demeanour of the pup. Like if you, you let your pup out of the yard and he's all happy or whatever else and you clip him on the lead to take him to your training and you look down and you see the demeanour in the pup changed or he's not, especially if he's a young age, if he's not in a sense, ripping his arm off to get to where the sheep are or I'd be tucking him away, you know, for whatever yep. period. And two, and when it, it's tucking away, that just means away from stock, you know, not away from yourself. I still like to interact with them because all pups, I think, they change four or five times throughout when they start. The instinct comes out to, to where they finish up, not as a mature dog, but probably as a dog that starts to come to work. Um, but, yeah, but if you're – last thing you want is your pup sour. Like, I think it's just spending enough time with your young dogs, you should be able to pick up if they're still enjoying it or you don't want it to become a chore at a young age for them. Absolutely. And on that, do you um, do you spend any time training away from stock? Now you got your couple of your, your young no, kids don't. there. I don't, like... I don't do any dry training. Um, I've seen some people do it. Obviously, there are some that once again have had success, but I see a lot of people that come and oh, the dog will sit and come and all this type of stuff. And then you throw a few sheep around and it just goes out the window. It's yeah. just like you know, so no, I, I do it once, we'll try to do it once, and that's with stock involved. Obviously, the basic of if you want the pup to come to you or at least attempt to come to you yep. um you know when you're letting them out overnight or morning or however you do it off stock but other than that nah, throw the sheep in and just let it all go pear-shaped together <laughs> so in other words you're saying you do have basic obedience but not to the fact of you know you can sit a dog 20 meters away before you've even shown it stock yeah no nah, yeah. don't come to me if you want a puppy show yeah, yeah, no, no, that's there's no, cool. there's no head shakes or roll over kiss. Like <laughs> and obviously, they're well socialized with the kids, so the kids just mucking around with them, leading them around a little bit here and there, calling them around. So, they're already building a bit of bond, rapport, and relationship there, yeah. And especially when the kids were younger, anyone that's got young kids know that goddamn dogs have got to have rubber bones <laughs> with little kids, like. <laughs> yeah. And I probably had to, and my whole team have to be like that because you know. Em and the kids, they'll go and feed the dogs for me if I'm ducking off to footy training or if I get home late and all this type of stuff. The dogs have, didn't come to work. Like, 
you got to have trust in your team. And many a time I, used, I could still see my young daughter tipping, you know, nuts into the bowl and just swirling them around with her hand while the dog's <laughs> eating out of the bowl. Like, so you've got to they're, – they're just kind of, I suppose, temperament and attitude type dogs that that I needed in my camp that I could trust. Yeah. And I've – grab it. Um, there's another question here from Rick. And it's back on to what you were saying about um, commands and and putting that on once on stock. So he's he's on to the next part from there is at what point in a dog's training do you put commands on them? Um, he says, I know you might not have an exact age, but what are you looking for before you want to want to get them into knowing sides, working off balance, etc.? Yeah. Um, oh, look, that's hard because, like, once again, it's a bit of a cliche, but every pup's different. Yeah. Um, and I think by starting off, you know, if you want to put some distance between the stock and your pup, you know, by rousing them off a little bit and just reading the, the, the demeanour of of the pup when you do things like that to see whether its mind's ready, you know, to handle, you know, sides. But for me, once they start balancing up and being able to lift, you know, your few training sheep off a fence, um, it's just repetitively just saying whatever command is that side. And obviously, you know, we're half mooning them or blocking them up and sending them, you know, left over to your right or, or vice versa. Um, I think it just can generally grow from there. If you see the pup enjoying you know, trying to catch the head and, and not just tailing and that type of stuff, well, you, you'll find yourself just repeating your commands to go that way. And, and that's the best way that I've found, you know, for to put sides. Not that my dogs have beautiful sides on them. Sometimes, <laughs> sometimes they go to the wrong side and I have to say the other way. But, yeah, but that's, that's how I would look at it. Love the honesty. Yeah. <laughs> oh, mate, there's no use bullshit because... No, bullshit. there isn't, no, is that's it? it. That's <laughs> it. It's only forever if you do anyway. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and doing a lot of, like, you're foot pairing a lot of your yard work, mate, um, backing. There seems to be a um, bit of a, a thing all over social media here and there. People have their different ages. Mate, obviously it's not something you want to push on a young dog, but if you see a young dog that wants to go, do you encourage that? Or do you, if it's too young, do you put it away and let it mature? How, how do you approach that? No, I um, I definitely don't put it away. Um, if it's a, a young pup and, like, just for instance, while we're talking, like the young pup that I've got off Jeff McDougal, she just is jumping straight on their backs already. Now, I'm not how old encouraging... Is she? How old is she? She'd be six months now. Yes, it's not yeah. um, And she, like, I was drenching the other day and, and she come all up the drench race and I don't know what the drench race fits in, 50 sheep, and just got smashed all the way back. And, like, I wasn't encouraged or whatever, but I did take her out of that situation because she's such a, a hard sound pup that I left her there and she worked it out after a while that not to come all the way up to the front to me while the race was being filled, like... But mm. more to the point, I'd probably look at ways of how to keep that pup on the ground. But And that's her inst 
natural instinct for say for this one is to back. So when I'm playing around in the training yard, I don't go in the force pen at all with her. Like she's she shown me straight up yeah. that that's going to be natural to her. So it's more just outside, keeping her off, getting her to, you know, lift your trainers off the sheet, out of the corners. My training, I don't have a round yard or anything. I've got corners in my training yard. Like I like corners. Um, and it's just, and I, I just put her in that situation more. But, yeah, I definitely, for younger ones, I would say there's no need to encourage it. Um, but I definitely wouldn't be tucking her away if that's the right wording, you know. I'd just be putting her in different situations to try and just to keep her, her feet on the ground for a little bit longer because sometimes a dog can use up on poppers and out. Yeah. That's true as well. Yeah. No, I like the, I like your thinking behind that. And do you, do you work outside of a race at all? Uh, yeah, I do. Yeah, because we, we um, the setup at work, is we have a, a dual lane feeding to a Clipex and another dual lane that feeds to a PQ. Um, both those machines are really good if you've got one that works the outside of the race as well. Um, I, I still have a dog backing inside, um, but I have one that comes on the outside just to pierce that next sheep going into both machines. Um, and that one on the outside can and is just as effective and does just as much work because I don't allow them to camp on the outside. Once she's done a job, she's got to woof back past every sheep in the race and then tip back in and hold the tail up. So it's not a, it's not a, an outlet for an easy option. While we're on the topic of backing, um, Kate just asks, how important is a cracking top knot to you? Oh, <laughs> I'll tell you what. Cracking, she should know because her husband's got a cracking top knot. Well, that's a bun, isn't it? That's a bun. Um, <laughs> yeah, look. <laughs> I am, um, yeah, I'm a big fan of it. A big, big fan. The man and bun or the top knot? Of, what was that, sorry? The man bun or the top knot? Well, he's a big bloke, so I better say the man bun as well. Okay, sure. Um, yeah, I, um, I use at work the top knot all the time when you're drafting. Like, and it's just educating, I suppose, your dog to hit the right sheep, and they don't always get the right sheep. Um, but it is is a tool when you're dealing with um, a lot of stock that is so handy in the yards. And, and I've seen dogs be effective, you know, it could be five o'clock at night and the tank's just about empty and you've still got, you know, you might have 800 ewes or something that you've got to bash through a draft draft up but that dog will go to the front and scruff a, a good top knot and let him go and all of a sudden shit's happening like yeah so Kate it is a good tool if it's used properly not out in the arena well actually on that um, a dog that at a trial that is hitting your race and constantly use top knots even if it's not required What what's your take on that yeah, look. When you're when you're walking up the race and as you're opening the gate, that dog grabs that first or second sheet. Oh, I would no, I don't mind that. Yeah. I yeah, some people look at that as unnecessary, but yeah. to me that's making sure that, that sheep's coming out of the race. Yeah. Um, and with the trialing game at the moment, so many judges are 
I'm giving you three seconds once you've flicked that chain on that, say, for instance, that front drench race. Um, and sometimes you see dogs that are tried a lot, they know to come up to empty, but they hear the chain and all of a sudden they're, they're heading back towards the back of the... <laughs> and for me, well, if we're still trying to stimulate what happens on a farm... I mean, you'd be you'd be up that dog if you was home and sheep weren't coming out of that race. Like, yeah, you have to start manhandling. So, yeah, I don't I don't mind that, but just I suppose like any top knotting in the wrong spot is just the same as a bite. But if you are good enough and able to to train it, you know, when you want it, it's I reckon it's a valuable tool in your in your trade. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, they're all a bit later. Yeah. There. Oh, there's one here um, about cast. Um, so Rick's asked, how much can you improve a cast with training rather than the dog's natural genetics? Well, so that um, you, you said that, that that dog you got in changed a lot for you because of his groundwork and getting out, and I'm assuming that dog probably casted a bit more than what you're used to. Yeah. And, and it came with age. It probably showed me um, how, you know, once that dog matures over that probably that four, four and a half years of age, um, that, yeah, that, that when they're probably thinking a little bit more for themselves. Um, cast very important. And once again, everyone has different ideas of cast and their shape. And, um, and it can also be the type of stock that you're working obviously you know you'd like that nice wide cast on your paddocks but to me it's probably a command of look back that you can put on your dog halfway out or a stop halfway out on its journey is probably more important than that big looping cast from when it leaves your your side or the ute or something like that um, just simply because if you're working cattle, that big loopy cast is not worth a cracker because the cows are gone another kilometre down the paddock on you if you know yeah. cattle. Like, but if you get, put a stop halfway or a quarter way or a look back or whatever you want to use, can be a valuable thing to have on your dog. Um, but to ask to Rick, I think you can help a dog out with you know trying to get them to to cast wide and obviously with a younger dog you know putting yourself in between the dog and the sheep and you know or having a couple of obstacles in your training pen or small paddock that the dog kicks out round before you know like in a v section or something before it can get to its stock um but that's once again the genetics i suppose of your dog and and knowing your dog yep. I really like the how you explain that, and I really like how you mentioned that look back. Because how frustrating is it when you're in a smaller paddock and you can see your stock, like I saw a sheep, for example, here, and you're only, you know, just over there, and the dog's gone over the fence that way and it's gone over the fence that way, and you're like I just open this gate and push these through before the dog's going to get back. Yeah, for sure. And sometimes that can occur in the bush even. If you, you know, you can see the sheep, and a lot of times you need a pretty direct to take the ground off them and then probably a bit of a teardrop once you get closer to, but if they're knocking the droppers right off from the start, 
well, a lot of the times they shoot for going out of sight and they're laughing on other sides of the bank, sticking their finger up, saying, you blokes are shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, mate, um, we've touched a little bit on breeding there. Are you breeding many pups for yourself? Look, I'm not. Um, I probably have maybe one or two litters a year, and that would be the extent of it. And they're um, just what what I wanted to, you know, to see how they would produce. Um, I've probably just started to get a few different uh, lines in um, into my camp because I've bred. I've probably bred out of the bitches that I've got here that I like. Um, but I'm pretty, I'm pretty critical on the bitch. I set myself up to have pretty hard-headed bitches. Um, and I like those types to breed out of. I think there's a very good dog nearly on every corner. Mm-hmm. But in our bitches, just that, I suppose, harder, grittier type. Um, and I've got, I'm lucky enough, I've got a little bit of a firecracker here. And I've bred two litters out of her. Um, and they're, they're, one, they're, they're oldest is, he'd be two and a half. So he's just starting to shape up okay. He's a big a big dog, and I think he's probably filled three quarters of his head space at this stage. He's got a little bit further to go. <laughs> yeah. So you're saying a hard-headed bitch is sort of what you like before you breed from it. Is there anything else they have to tick? I just think you've got to like their work ethic and what they do. Um, yeah. um, I'm not at the stage where... Um, joining a bitch that's unbroken or whatever just because she's by you know state champion out of a, a guru or whatever like i just yeah i'm i, I just you've really got to like especially the bitch and, and what she's doing and then you know obviously as we all do we try and match up match up the dog and you know and take it from there but yeah but that's and once again that's just my opinion like i yeah. just feel that that and I'm I'm making the bitch prove herself too, and that's standing up to day in day out work and like yeah, obviously she's not. You don't want her to grind your gears too much because you don't want two of them. But um, yeah, but that's that's what I'm I'm basing myself on at the moment. Yeah. So, so would that be fair to say attitude is probably your biggest attribute? Yeah, yeah, probably is, mate. Yeah, yeah, no. You could be pretty good at most things, but if you're a sooky bastard with your tail up your bum, you're not hanging around. Yeah. Yeah. Well, no, yeah. not when you've got a lot of work to do. No. Like, <laughs> you, you don't have your seven minutes there, right? Like, you, you, you're out there making things happen. Yeah, yeah, and that's – and, look, you know, it's not – it's definitely not bash or crash or anything like that, um, you know, and, and you look after the stock and, and – there's no, you don't have lunatics in your camp or whatever, but you've just, for me, you've just got to have that one that you know is going to be the same at seven o'clock in the morning to what it is at five o'clock that night, just to give you the same input. Yeah. And when you say match up um, dogs and bitches, are you talking genetics or like, like um, characteristics? Lots, of, lots of like or. Yeah, characteristics. Yeah, yeah. Some go like to like first. Um, and once again, the old book face is, is pretty good. You can do the get the family tree ripped up, you know, soon that do a fantastic job. Um, but yeah, it's more yeah, probably like 
to start with um, and just, yeah, go from, go from there. Yeah, yeah. And are you, um, do you think the bitch has any more over the pups or any beliefs on that? Oh, look, that's once again, you get, I love to see when they bring out the science and all that yeah. on the book face with these answers. <laughs> well, but yeah, look, I'm not 100% <laughs> sure, mate. I, I really, yeah, that's above my pay grade, but I'm just kind of basing my train of thought on, you know, if she's a pretty solid bitch and she has a fair crack, let's let's see if we can't produce. Yeah. So you got your whole litter of pups there sitting on the ground. They're eight weeks old. How does Tim Hall pick his pup? That little bastard that's hard to catch. He's one that stays about. <laughs> yeah. yeah, look, I think, and so many people are probably the same. We generally don't smile at that little shy bloke that's at the back. He probably, and people may say he's probably the thinker or, you know, the one that's going to feel, have the best feel on his stock or what. But, yeah, I just, I don't mind that one that's a bit up in your face or a bit hard to catch. Like, I kind of, when you throw him on stock, if that little bloke is sticking <coughs> his finger up to you and you're, he's hard to catch when the sheep are around, he probably goes in the first pen available. Yeah. And what advice would you give to someone that wanted to purchase their first dog or pup? Um, have a little bit of an idea of what work is going to be presented to you as far as why you've gone out to purchase this pup. Um, and I think have a chat to the, to the breeder from where you're, where you're going to get it from um, and just go, go with it. Like, you know, everyone will come to a litter and someone will like a pup, like every litter you go to, you take a shine to a pup um, and just, go with that like for sure do some background you know on what previously the person's bred or how if the if it's a repeat mating or something like that but yeah go with your gut if you know you're you're doing a heap of yard work that's going to be for your next six months while you're stepping into the livestock industry or something well obviously just chase the yardy lines a little bit just to help you out yeah and like having such a small pool, you'd buy a couple of pups yourself, like from the mainland. How much trust are you putting into the people you're buying pups from um, that they're telling you their dogs are the way they are? Yeah, you probably are a lot. Um, I've generally, what I've purchased so far, you know, I've had at least two or three looks at them, maybe only on, on a trial field, um, but just general I think you pretty much tell when you generally talk to someone mm. whether they're pissing in your pocket or they're genuine type people like. Yeah. Um, and I, yeah. And I suppose it's like everything in life, you roll the dice a little bit and if it turns out nothing what they say, well, you make a phone call. Yeah. And like you've said before, you've come over here um, a couple of times a year. So you're seeing those dogs and, and you know, hearing stories, I guess, and about about people and about their dogs before you even consider looking at pups? Yeah, for sure. Yep. And once again, social media, you know, you can work that to your advantage, especially, I suppose, for us being this side of the ditch. Um, and you do, you get a little bit of a, 
a mindset or an idea of what you think, how that dog is. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're not always, and once again, it's only personal preference, you're not always impressed when you see the dog in the flesh, if that makes sense. Yeah. But you probably got to keep in mind, you, to be fair to them, you've got to have a seen probably four or five times when you can only see on a trial situations before you really sum him up, I reckon. Mm. On yep. different different stock too, like different breeds and types. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, mate, we've, we've touched on trialling uh, today. Mate, do, how long have you been trialling and do you... No, I'm not stealing someone's question. No. no. And um, when was your first trial? <laughs> um, I think I actually had my first trial, my grandfather's dog, when I was, I think it might have been 10 years old, <laughs> um, at a little local trial. I borrowed his dog and, yeah, I got a little trophy for that. I don't think there was anyone else in the category. <laughs> um, and then I, I stepped away for, you know, what was it, 10, about 18 years, I reckon, give or take. And then I kind of, I got back into it, but I probably, last 10 years, I suppose, I've, uh, I've started trialling and probably, well, like everyone, got that real competitive edge six or seven years ago. And yep. I think that's what drives us too. Like, it's funny, you talk to people about trialling and they're, oh, no, I'm just there just there for the run or whatever like that's bullshit mate <laughs> everyone's everyone's got that competitive edge like i love everybody in the trialing game but you're there to beat every single person that you step out that yeah. arena for you're there to win like and afterwards you step off you have your moment if your dog's gone bad or you've stuffed up then you get over it and you go and have a beer or a cordial with them and you know enjoy the atmosphere but when people start saying oh, i'm just just here to Go like, no, mate. You, you, everyone's a competitive beast when it comes down to it. Definitely, I agree with that. Daniel probably doesn't. Yeah, I, <laughs> We've I'm, had this conversation. I'm massive competitive. <laughs> I, I go, I go to make a final. I don't get necessarily to win, but I go to make a final because yeah, I, yeah, well, that, I make that's a final. Break, I, I know I'm consistent, and that, that's why I go to trial. I go to trials to make finals. Yeah, yeah, um, sure. Win, winning yeah. to me is a bonus, but I, I want to make finals. Yeah, that's yeah. my. My benchmark is to try and make a final. That's still competitive. 100%. Yeah. Competitive, yeah. 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 But I don't go to win every time because I'd be disappointed a lot. Yeah. yeah. But and I'll say, like, to win, um, obviously everyone has disappointed and expectations, but you know yourself when you're out there what you and, and your dog can do. Yeah. And, you know, like, I can't beat Kate's Cruise. And I've tried everything with two different dogs, and I still yes. can't get out. But you know, I walk off satisfied because you know I've had a good run. But it's your competitive drive that makes you want to get better. You know, yeah. makes makes you want to beat these dogs. It makes you want to, you know, you want the blue ribbon to come into your house, like. Yeah. So is that why you trial, or is or is that just part of the reason why you trial? No, that's that's definitely only part of it. Um, I absolutely love the atmosphere. I love the, I love the people involved, and I love I love the after after party might be the word. <laughs> um, the get the get together and that type of stuff. But it's it's also testing yourself, um, and testing your dogs. Everyone, everyone's got 
a champion champion at home, and I don't doubt that. But it's putting what you think is a good dog out there on show for other people to judge. And sometimes that can be very hard for people, um, not to accept, but to allow happen that someone else is going to have a, a critical word about your dog or, or whatever else. And, you know, and I think sometimes that what scares people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think probably more often what than what people think, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. Could, you're putting yourself out there to be judged as an overall package as you as a handler, your dog, like, yeah. Yeah, definitely. And there's a question here from Ash um, Mayburn. She's asked, what is your favourite trial to go to in your most memorable experience trialling? Um, if you remember it. Well, there's been a couple. <laughs> <laughs> um, I love the Australian, Australian Yard Championships. Um, that's I've been lucky enough now. I've been to five or six of those. Um, and that's just a great week. Um or four days, five days or whatever. And, um, you know, she's she's on for young and old and you're all there, you know, you're either there representing your state or there to, you know, to try and push yourself into the top 25 and then into the top 10. Um, but it's just an overall – and you've got four or five days generally. So nine out of ten, you're camping with other trialers and campfire gets going because – there's a lot of good dogs around the campfire after nine o'clock. <laughs> a lot of good ones. But yeah, no, the Australians would be, and I do enjoy Bendigo. I've been to Bendigo, um, lucky enough to tie that in with work. And I've been to Bendigo oh, the last four or five years, I reckon. But sometimes Bendigo nightlife does suck you in. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like you're one great. Yeah. And your most um, memorable achievement? Um, obviously, I've been lucky enough. I've won three Tassie titles, um, open ones with, with two different dogs. And just recently, I was lucky enough to run third in the Australian Yard Dog Championships um, at Mansfield. Um, that was my my highest place that I've placed in, in an Australian. Um, so they were, yeah, they're probably just, little ones or their stepping stones to where you you're trying to get to congratulations on that third yeah, place awesome. too mate there's a big field there yeah it was and there were some top dogs like yeah and you know obviously joe put you know runs together that was the score said it all and all congratulations to him he's a fierce competitor and does a great job and then that freaking cruise was above me again <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, you didn't get her that time. No, nah, she's lucky I love her. <laughs> Mate, what about other forms of trolling away from the yards? Do you get in yeah. there any cattle? Or... <clears throat> no, we don't actually do any cattle down here in Tassie. Um, yeah, and it's something I definitely, I don't, I don't mind it, that's for sure. Um, I haven't had much of a go with the three sheep trialing um that yeah that doesn't really you know spin my wheels a lot um and i enjoyed the utility i've only 
I did an Australian utility when it was down in Tassie last year, and I did have a couple of runs up at Mansfield with not a lot of joy whatsoever. But <laughs> I um I did I did enjoy it, and yeah, the utility stuff is another form, I suppose, of showcasing the ability of your dog. Um, but yeah, but I I definitely wouldn't shy away from doing a little bit more of that in the future. Um, I'd have to get a lot better myself, um, you know, handling my dogs through those type of obstacles just with three or, or five sheep. But heck, if you're, you're not trying to learn or improve, you know, what are we doing? So, you know, yeah. It's, yeah. Love it. Yeah. I was just going to say, um, you know, do you get nervous at all? Uh, I used to. Yeah, no. Yeah. I'd say I used to, you probably still do have, you know, a few butterflies before you push the gate open or or whatever else. But, um, yeah, I think you kind of, once you've done it for a little bit, you know that if it does go past you, catch your dog and jump out of there. It's not as if you've got to sit there and go through the drooling pain until the buzzer goes. <laughs> but, you know, and I think if you tell yourself that, it might help you like, shit, mate, you know. If it's not, if you're all not comfortable or you see the dog or whatever, get the hell out of there, like. Yeah. But, yeah, I think, and you put nerves on yourself when you when you want to go well too, like, and that's probably comes back to, you know, your competitiveness, like nothing worse. Say for us guys traveling over and then we have two or three dogs and they all go shit house or whatever. And then people turn around and say, well, geez, Tassie come all this way. And that's what they've come with. You know, things like that you probably <laughs> may play on your mind from time to time. Actually, mate, we just lost you for a sec there, but you're back now. Um, mate, you touched on something there, and that was, you know, you don't have to wait for the buzzer. What about when you have a young dog out there and things aren't going great, but the dog's trying, and do you ever just pull up and go, you know what, right now, yeah, the dog's going all right, but rather than put a bit more pressure on it, let's let's pull him up and put him back in yeah. his kennel, give him a pat. And... Absolutely. Absolutely. If, you've, if you see, especially when you've got a young dog, and he's gone to that right position and for whatever reason, you know, things haven't gone forward or you haven't been able to, to process on, instead of you getting hot under the collar and that dog, he's done exactly what you asked him that first time. But, you know, there might be a little thing that the, the dog might have missed or something. I would not hesitate yeah. to say thank you very much for your time and out you go. I'd rather, I'd rather do that with a young dog than stay there and keep persisting, persisting. If you think he's learning, okay, that's your opinion. But if you're, and then all of a sudden, when you go to him, you're hot under the collar and you scruff him pretty hard by the collar or whatever, and he feels your heat straight up, well, he's going to associate that area is not real fun to be in. And it's, it's his first, first trial, he's probably getting used to people everywhere and different noises, things like Catching that. Catching the head, doesn't want to let go of the head or just something like that. And Yep. Exactly. All these little things happening, yep. Yep, for sure. Uh, and that, that's some good advice, mate. Uh, so there you go. You don't have to stay out there for your seven minutes, anyone listening back today. If, you, if you're uncomfortable, you see you're not going to not gonna be real successful, call it quits, give your dog a pat and put him or her away and come back out 
a little bit later. Yep, that's exactly what I what I've tried to do. As long as you can catch it. <laughs> <laughs> if you can catch it there's half a start yeah, sometimes that's the hardest bit isn't it yeah it can be <laughs> mate and you've already touched on this one but I, I do just want to touch on it again mate we hear the debate that trial dogs don't make work dogs um what's your take i um and i can only speak obviously for the yard trial side i can't speak on three sheep um, that type of stuff because, you know, I'm not experienced or well, I haven't done that type of stuff. For me, I simply don't get the gist when people say advertise their breeding or whatever, that they're breeding good farm dogs, not trial dogs. Now, in my eyes, like, whatever I'm breeding and friends of mine are breeding that do trial, they're breeding dogs that can do a job Monday to Friday. I read that other part is a bit of a cop-out that whatever that bred hasn't made a trial or anything like that because you're breeding something that can stand up Monday to Friday work and then the scheme of it, you're probably just putting the finer points to them to be able to compete on a weekend. Yep. Yeah. Right, and that's that's how that's how I read it. Like, and, and it goes both ways. Like dogs that I'm breeding and other people – might never make trial dogs. They just make honest farm dogs. Hmm. But yeah. you're not going to sit and advertise that oh, I'm just breeding trial dogs, not farm dogs, and vice versa. Like, yeah, I, I take that as a bit of a cop out. Yeah, beautiful. Um, any advice to someone wanting to get into the ag and working dog industries? Ask questions. Ask questions. Choose people's. Chew, chew the right people's ears off. That's what I'd say. How do you um, find the right people? Pardon? How do you find the right people? The ones that are not going to talk bullshit just because it sounds good. Yeah. But ones that will be honest with you, like, you know, see a lot of people, they talk a lot of different stuff up and it's just crap. Like, um, But I would say for any young person, yeah, don't go home with your head full of unanswered questions or unasked questions. Yeah. See, I think, um, was it Scott the other week that said they're, you're interviewing them as much as you're interviewing them? Yes. Like when you speak, I, I, yeah, you, I think I said that wrong, but. Yeah. 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 I, know, I know. That was for a job interview, but it's but same, same, same kind of stuff, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Uh, very cool. And, mate, who would you like us to sit down and have a chat with? Oh, on the dog talk. Yep. On the dog talk. On the dog talk. <laughs> on thy dog talk. I'd actually, <laughs> if if his health allowed it, I'd love Michael Williams from Bear Rock Kelpies down here in Tassie. Yep. Um, I'm not sure where, but as a, you know, like I said earlier, as a pioneer and a person that um, probably inspired, you know, myself and, I would no doubt think many others. Um, and, you know, Michael stepped away from it for a little while, but obviously it'd be great to hear, you know, what it was like 10 years ago or whatever, 11 when, and I think Michael, he might have won nine Tasmanian Opens or something like that. And there's one stint there where Michael, he won it with a dog 
and then one it with that same dog again like eight years later or something like that. It was yeah, it was unbelievable. Wow. But he'd be yeah, be one person I'd yeah. If he was up for it. Right. Yeah, awesome. Awesome. Sounds like a plan. Try that. Mate, was there a question that stood out for you this evening and I'll win a bag of enduro uh high energy food for working dogs with real kangaroo mate? Um Oh look well, you probably um was it Ashley that asked what trial did I like yep. most? Yeah. Yeah, just because she made me remember about Bendigo. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, um... yeah. so yeah, that 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 was yeah. Yeah, beautiful. Well, Ash, get in contact with us. Um get those details off you. Um and we'll get that bag of enduro off to you. Also, one coming your way there, Tim. So I'll grab your details a bit later. Uh, I've got most of them there and get a bag off to you as well. Sweet. One last question as always. Um, would you rather fight one duck the size of a horse or 20 horses the size of ducks and why? I've had more hides than I've had victories, so. Oh. <laughs> 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 uh. Yeah, I don't know. You've got me stumped on that. I'd just, I'd say, open the gate and just send them at me. Whatever comes out. Yeah. <laughs> Love it. Love it, mate. Um, thank you very much for your time tonight. Really enjoyed chatting with you, mate. Um, and no, no, I got a bit sketchy there a bit earlier um, when your laptop went for a drive. Um, so thanks, <laughs> thanks, thanks oh, for grinning in and. Um, you just got to handle any situation, don't you? Yeah, well, that's it. <laughs> no, love the dedication, mate, no, and 100%. Uh, and to all our viewers um, and people listening back, thank you for listening in. And please remember, we learn every day, and the day we stop learning will be a sad one for all of us. Thank you. Thanks, Tim. Cheers, guys. Cheers, mate.